Would you join me, John 21? John 21, verses 15 to 19 this morning. Not a lot of verses, but there's a lot in here. John 21, verses 15 to 19. And let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning, we rejoice in your wondrous love that will not let us go. The wondrous love of God that led to the Father sending the Son to die on the cross for our sins. The grace of God that far exceeds our sin and the hope that we have in Christ. Heavenly Father, this morning we rejoice in all that we are in you and all that we have in Christ. We pray that even in this passage that you would open our eyes to the amazing grace of God. That we would see how much greater than our sin is your grace. That we'd be encouraged, that we'd be reminded, that we'd find hope. Pray that you'd give me boldness this morning, authority to proclaim your word with clarity, as the Spirit would take the Word and that you would work in each and every one of our lives, that you would accomplish your purposes this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. John 21, Denouement, Part 2. Two weeks ago we started in the beginning of John 21. And we noted how perfect it would have been for John to kind of just close at the end of chapter 20. You have Thomas's doubt, and then Jesus appears, and and Thomas has this amazing confession of who Christ is. It would have been great to just close the book right there, but that's not what the Lord had in store. Instead, John 21 is kind of a denouement. It brings a story to a close. It ties up all these loose ends. We saw two weeks ago in the first 14 verses as the disciples go and they go back, they're kind of waiting for Jesus and they don't know what to do. And so what do they do? They go back to the one thing that they know. The one thing that they are good at, that they should be able to do. And that's fishing. That's easy. That's comfortable. And what happens? They go out all night and they fail. They catch nothing. And Jesus appears. And just like when he first called them into ministry, he says, cast your net on the other side. And their net is full. And there's a lesson in that. That Jesus provides all that they need, not just in ministry, but even in life in general. They can do nothing without him. And how comforting that must have been to those men as they start out on their ministry and they they don't know what to do. And so they're waiting for Jesus and, and they go back to what they know. And there's that reminder, you need me and I will sustain you. As you come to John 21, verses 15 to 19, you kind of have that same idea carry forward. Last week, the first 14 verses, Jesus provides. This week, in verses 15 to 19, Jesus forgives. You see, there's a very big hole that still needs to be tied up in the book of John. 
And that's Peter. Last we know of Peter, before we come to John 21, he's denied Christ. He's, he's spoken these big words, his big mouth. He's taken big action as he cuts off Malchus's ear, and yet he cannot back up what he says with action. In fact, as you come to John 21, verses 15, he's a broken man. My clicker's not working. Just one slide. There you go. Peter's a broken man. I think we need to understand this context as we come to John 15, uh, 21, verses 15 to 19. Because we come to these verses and we know what the Lord goes on and he does through Peter. We know the end of Peter's life, do we not? As he goes on and the founding of the church and Acts and the key role that he plays in that and these powerful messages that he preaches and these awesome works that he does. As he gives his life for Christ, we know all that. But in John 21, verse 15, Peter doesn't know that. And John 21, verse 15, Peter is a broken man. Again, as you go back to chapter 18, verses 1 to 27, where Peter denies Christ three times, publicly, openly. This man who has spoken so boldly throughout the book of John. And yet in John 18, verses 1 to 27, in one night, all of that, all of those words that he has spoken, all of those things that they are done, they are shown to be empty. Peter's a fraud. When it comes down to it, when it really matters, he denies Christ. He's a broken man. In fact, you come to verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah. He calls him out by his full legal name. Simon, son of Jonah. They've eaten breakfast. We looked at last time. Jesus has met his physical need. Now Jesus turns his attention to his greater need, his spiritual need. Do you, Peter, do you love me more than these? What a stinging question that must have been as they're sitting there around that fire. In fact, we noted two weeks ago when we were in John 21, verses 1 to 14, as they're standing around this fire, these embers, that the last time that Peter stood around a fire was the time when he denied Christ. And now he finds him several weeks later around a fire once again, this time sitting with the very one that he denied. It seems in passages like 1 Corinthians 15.15 and Luke 24.34 that there may have already been some kind of a private meeting, conversation between Jesus and Peter. 
But Peter's pride and Peter's denial were public. And so now Jesus confronts him publicly. Do you, Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? What a stinging statement. It's one of those statements that gets right to the heart. Do you love me more than these? What, what are these? Right? We're not there, so we don't know what Jesus points at. And commentators disagree. It could be, when you look at the context, where are they? They're on the shore. They've been fishing all night. They're surrounded. There's a boat sitting there. There's nets. There's a big catch of fish. They're sitting there. They're eating. Jesus could be looking at that and saying, Peter, do you love me more than these? In essence, do you love me more than your old life? This thing that you have gone back to. And, and if that were it, that would, be, that, that would preach really well. Do you love me more than your old life? Are you willing to give that up to follow me? That's a possibility. I don't know that's the best possibility. Because there is this denial that is hanging in the air. Peter's failure, the fact that he has fallen so short, that he's been shown to be a fraud. Do you love me more than these? I think that these there are the other disciples who are sitting there. It's not, do you love me more than you love them? Rather, Jesus is referencing Peter's earlier pride. Right? In John 13, 37. In fact, turn over there with me, if you will. John 13, 37. We're just a few pages away. Start back in verse 36. Jesus has told them that he's leaving. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. I will lay down my life for your sake. In fact, in Matthew 26, 33 and Mark 14, 29, Peter kind of adds to that statement, though everyone else falls away, I will not. I will follow you even to death itself. In essence, what Peter is saying there is, Lord, I love you more than all of these. I love you more than anyone. I love you so much that I will follow you to death itself. Though everyone else falls away and I am the last one left, I will not leave you. And here he sits. All these weeks later with these other disciples sitting with Jesus around a fire and Peter is the one who denied. I don't think it's the nets and the boat and the fish that Jesus is referring to. I think it's back to that statement. Are you still that proud, Peter? Are you still trusting in yourself and the strength of your love? Do you really love me more than these? Do you love me more than they love me? 
is that which you are still clinging to. And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter here responds. He confesses his love for Christ, and yet this time he does it with more humility. I do love you, Lord. You know that I love you. You see, it is not the strength of Peter's love that will make him a faithful follower. Right back in John 13, back in Matthew 26 and Mark 14, that's what Peter's hope is, right? He's trusting in the strength of his love. Lord, I love you more. It is the strength of my love. It is me. It's in me. And here Jesus calls him, no, Peter, it's not in you. It's in me. It is not the strength of Peter's love that will make him a faithful disciple. It is the abundant grace of God, even in Peter's weakness, that will make Peter a faithful follower. And I think we would be so quick to condemn Peter, right? And yet we're no different, are we? I don't know that we'd respond any different than Peter if we found ourselves in the same situation. Lord, though though all these people deny you, I, I won't. I'll never leave you. In that statement, your hope is in the strength of your love. It's in you. There's something unique and special about you. There's nothing unique and special about you. You are a sinner separated from God. It is the grace of God that sets you apart, not the strength of your love or the good works that you do. It's not about how much you love God. It's about how much He loves you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 8. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all thanks? It is the love of God that sent the Son. It is the love of God that sustains us and gives us grace to endure. Peter failed because Peter was trusting in his own strength. And here Jesus is drawing his attention to that. And we'll touch on this more when we get towards the conclusion, but but maybe there's someone else here this morning who, like Peter... As you come this morning, as you sit in that seat, maybe you are sitting there and you, like Peter, are broken this morning. You have failed once again. For the thousandth time, you have fallen short. 
You try so hard, but you cannot overcome your sin. Brothers and sisters, that is the problem. You cannot overcome your sin. It is the grace of God alone. It is His mercy that is new every morning. And His mercy is new every morning because your sins are abundant each day. You need that new mercy each morning. And if you are here this morning and you feel like Peter, broken, battered, shown to be the fraud that you are, don't despair, but rejoice. Find hope. We're all frauds. We're all sinners. We all fall short. Our hope is not in the strength of our love, but in the amazing grace of God that saves us and sustains us. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Secondly, we see this broken man. We see him restored. It's a very well-known passage here. It goes back and forth, this conversation between Peter and Christ. And you can kind of get lost in the details here. Right? There's changing language, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Many will even point to the changing use of love between Peter and, and Christ. They use two different words. But I think as you look at this whole passage, neither of those things are the focus. There's a big idea here that you can miss if you focus in on these little details. Not that they don't matter. But there's something that Jesus is trying to accomplish here. Several things to note. First, note Back in John 18, Peter denied Christ how many times? Three times. Here in John 21, Peter confesses his love for Christ three times. This is purposeful by Christ. He knows what he is doing. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? I think it's, it's, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that at this point, Peter is realizing what Jesus is doing. I've denied him publicly three times, and now three times he's calling me to confess my love for him publicly. How that must have stung Peter, and yet how he must have rejoiced at the opportunity. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Again, I think there's evidence here that, that Peter gets the message. He understands what Jesus is doing here. And I think you see that and how he responds, do you love me? Note that Peter does not point to anything that he has done to prove his love. He doesn't say, yeah, Lord, look what I did here. Look what I did there. Yeah, I know I failed here, but I did this greater thing over there. Peter does not point or appeal to anything that he has done. What does he appeal to? He appeals to Christ's omniscience. Again, this is, this is a statement almost of Christ's divinity. 
just like Thomas had at the end of verse 20. I know that you know all things. Who knows all things? God alone. Peter is saying, you are God. You know all things. You know my heart and my mind. In fact, that's one of the themes of John. All throughout John, we see that Jesus knows. He knows the heart and the minds of men. He knows what God is doing. And so here, Peter appeals to that. He doesn't appeal to anything he's done. He appeals to Christ's omniscience. You are God, and you know my heart, and you know, Lord, that though I fail time and time again, though I have utterly fallen short, you know that I love you. And the big idea here is this. Peter, if you love me, then you will care for my church. See, I don't think here that Jesus is questioning Peter's love. He's not questioning Peter's love. What he's doing is calling Peter to faithfulness. What he is saying here is this. Peter, true love is not in a passionate outburst. Right? Peter's had lots of passionate outbursts. Back in John 13, 37, though everyone else leaves you, I won't. I will die for you. John 18 is Christ is denied and Peter pulls his sword in a passionate outburst and cuts off Malchus's ear. Peter is known for his passionate outbursts. But true love is not a passionate outburst. It is a faithful life. And that is what Jesus is calling Peter here to see. Peter, it's not the passionate outbursts that impress me. That's not what I need. That's not what I require of my disciples. It is a faithful life of obedience, day in and day out. It is feeding my lambs, tending my sheep, feeding my sheep. If you love me, It's not the great things that you will do. It is the little things. You will care for my sheep. You will not abandon them. You will feed them. You will tend them day in and day out. In fact, Peter gets this message because in, in 1 Peter 5, 1-4, way later on in his life, he uses this very same language when he is instructing in 1 Peter 5, 1-4, he uses this very same language of shepherd and sheep. Again, I think there's a couple things for us to note. Note one, that they are Christ's sheep. Feed my lambs, Peter. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. They are mine. They're not yours. I am the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. You are an under-shepherd. Secondly, Peter's responsibility as an under-shepherd. Notice that all of these things that he is called to, they're verbs, they're action. Feed, tend. Take action, do this, care for my sheep. 
care for, as we'll go on to see, and to ask my church. Feed my lambs. Lambs, babies. They need tender care, full attention. Tend my sheep. Just beyond feeding, right? Feeding you could do quickly. Just drop the food and leave. But tend them. Stay with them. Nurture them. I think it's interesting too, the the picture that Christ uses here. When you look at the context of where they are, it would have been easy for Jesus to, you know, he's used the language, you'll be fishers of men. It would have been easy for him to say, you know, Peter, mend my nets. Right? That's something that Peter knows. He understands fishing. He gets that. But once again, Peter would have been tempted to do that in his own strength. I can do that. I can mend nets. But the picture of a shepherd and sheep, that's something Peter knows nothing about. Peter has no idea what it takes to tend sheep or to feed lambs. Again, I think there's a veiled reference here to you are entirely dependent on me, but I will sustain you. It's not all on you, Peter. You tried to do it in your strength, and you failed, and you failed utterly. But it's not all on your shoulders. Trust me, it is my grace that will sustain you. It is my mercy that is new each morning. You will feed my lambs and you will tend my sheep and you will feed my sheep and you will do it successfully, not in your strength, but in my grace. And I think there's a lesson there for us, specifically for pastors. I know we have former pastors in our church, several of them. We have young men who are looking to go into the ministry. And don't overlook this. Take your calling seriously. It is Christ's sheep. It is His church. And He will give you the grace to do it. And it is hard work. You're called to feed. You're called to tend. To care. It is day in and it is day out. And it is exhausting. And yet it is God who gives the grace, not you. So here we see that Peter is restored to his place as an apostle and a leader. In fact, if you were sitting there, if you were one of the other disciples sitting around that fire, I'm sure there's a temptation to be like, man, God, Jesus, really? Isn't this a little... I mean, are you sure that's a good idea? I mean, look how bad he failed. You, you want to give him this much responsibility? Look how far, far short he fall, fell. Again, it's not in Peter's strength, it's in God's grace. It's incredible responsibility given to a man who has failed so miserably by a faithful God. I will sustain him. Feed, tend, feed. He's restored to his position as leadership. And then, as you come to verses 18 to 19, there's a renewed call to follow. A renewed call to follow. Most assuredly, I say to you, 
When you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. There's a clear reference there, and I think it's a clear reference that might not be so clear in English. In the context in which we find ourselves in 2021, I think it's easy for us to miss this. But this is a clear reference to crucifixion. The stretching out of the hands. Another who will gird you, who will tie you up, who will carry you where you do not wish to go. In fact, the very next verse clues us into this as well, in case we missed it. This he spoke, why? Signifying by what death he would glorify God. It's a clear reference to crucifixion. There's a call to be faithful and a promise that when you are old, you will die. You will be crucified. Again, this ties into what Peter had said earlier. Right? In his own naivety, in his own foolish boldness, he proclaimed, John 13, verses 36 to 38, though, though everyone else, I will not abandon you. I will die for you. And yet when that moment came, what did he do? He abandoned. He denied. And yet Christ says, Peter, you will die for me. You will die for me. You will have that opportunity. Not because of your strength. You failed in your strength. Because of my grace, I will sustain you. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. Follow me. You see, now Peter understands fully what he is called to. All those years ago, when he had been called first as an apostle, or as a disciple to follow Jesus, there's an excitement, there's an unknown. In fact, we see throughout John and the other Gospels that actually... Peter and the other disciples had a preconceived idea of what this calling was a call to. I'm going to be a general in God's army, in Christ's army. As we conquer the Romans, as we send them out, this comes with power, this comes with authority, this comes with fame. And yet now there's a renewed call to follow. And this time, Peter knows exactly what he's called to. Jesus has just told him, you will die for me. Now Peter and the other disciples understand that this is not a call to glory as a general in a triumphing army. It's not a call to riches or to fame in this life. This is a call to lay down your life for the cause of Christ and the glory of God. Peter, will you follow me in that? See, Peter now knows that his hope is not in his strength. Peter now knows that his hope is in the God who called him, commissioned him, and the God who will sustain him. In his own strength he failed, and the grace of God, he will triumph. In the grace of God, when that opportunity comes again after a faithful life of ministry, as he is hung on that cross, as he gives his life, he will be faithful by the grace of God that will sustain him. Follow me. 
not to glory, not to riches, not to fame. Follow me to the cross. I think there's several lessons for us in this well-known passage. And the first goes back to the beginning. Peter denied Christ. He let go of Jesus, but Jesus never let go of him. And brothers and sisters, the same is true for you and me. He will never let go of you. You cannot lose your salvation. It is not your strength that keeps you. It is the grace of God. In fact, notice this in this passage. It is not, Peter is restored to his ministry not because of shame and brokenness that then drove him to go to Jesus. It is Jesus that came to Peter. Peter is restored because Jesus pursued him and Jesus forgave him. Never underestimate the grace of God. Do not cling to your own strength. Don't hope in yourself. It is not the strength of your love or the, the, the length and depth of your Bible knowledge. It is the grace of God alone that saved you. It is the grace of God alone that will sustain you, that will bring you safely home. See the grace of God and rejoice in the grace of God in this passage. The grace of God that forgives, the grace of God that restores, the grace of God that sustains. Secondly, notice this, that the call to discipleship is a call to lay down your life and pick up the cross. The call to follow me is not a call to riches. It's not a call to fame. It's not a call to an easy life. For Peter, specifically here, we see it's a call to be crucified, literally. And yet all throughout Jesus' ministry, even in his uh, farewell discourse, he has told his disciples, this is not going to be easy. This is not a call to an easy life. In fact, in Matthew 16, 24-26, he puts it this way, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Are you willing to follow me? Follow me. Trust me. Believe in me and follow where that may lead. The call to discipleship is a call to lay down your life, to pick up the cross and to glorify God. So an application, four things. Believe, confess, commit, rejoice. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Christ alone for salvation. Maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're trusting in your good works, your merit, what you can earn. You're, you're hoping that one day your good works will outweigh your bad works. You're hoping that one day that how much you loved God will make up for the sin you've done. You're looking to what God maybe has provided in your life or what God has done. Don't look to those things. Look to who Christ is. He's the Son of God. He died for you. 
Your hope is not in your good works. Your hope is not in anything else. Put your hope in Christ alone for salvation. You can't do it in your own strength. You can't love God enough. You can't hate sin enough. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved even this morning. Secondly, confess. Maybe there's some here this morning who you are in Christ, you've placed your faith, you've been saved, and yet there's, there's sin. Maybe you find yourself this morning like Peter was, broken and beat up and torn apart and you've been shown to be a fraud. Don't run from God. Turn and confess. Lean on the grace of God and His mercy and find hope this morning. Maybe there's some here this morning and you're going along in your Christian life, you're a believer, but you're just kind of floating. Won't you heed the call of Christ to follow to death? Wherever that may lead, take your calling seriously. Understand who you are in Christ. You are a citizen of heaven. This world is not your home. Be committed. And finally, if you are in Christ, regardless of what, where else you fall, if you need to confess or commit this morning, rejoice in the grace of God that sustains you and the hope that you have, not just in salvation, but the hope that you have for this week and for eternity in the grace of God alone. Cling to the grace of God, not your strength.